0: Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Drink, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host David Bernstein. Today we have Kenny Shu with us. And Kenny just released a book called An Inconvenient Minority. He's also the president and founder of an organization called Color Us United. Kenny, I love your book. I can't wait to speak to you about it. I've got to ask, I know you're at a conference right now, so it doesn't look like you've got a drink in your hand. David, do you have anything uh, to drink for this conversation?
1: Yeah, last time you got me uh, but, uh, drunk before my staff meeting, so I decided to go, you know, um with just water with a little bit of a drop of some sort. So flavor drops. So okay. yeah, I was about to say not this early. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it is early for us. But yeah, David, <laughs> if that little shot of of,
1: of, of Scotch that you have. Scotch. Heard. I'm a oh, lightweight. You you know that. You know okay.
0: That. Well, I have to say I only have coffee because it is early, but Kenny, I want you to know I collect Starbucks mugs and the one I'm drinking out of is Shaman. So I've oh, got great. I've got a mug from from China. You know, I used to live in China and collect all the City, so shaman is one of my favorites. So there you go. There's, there's, there's that. So Kenny, the book "Inconvenient Minority." I mean, it's um, it's kind of groundbreaking when we talk about Asian Americans in relationship to the current narrative around critical race theory, social justice, anti-racism. And you bring up a lot of interesting points. Do you want to just give us an overview of what you think about how the Asian Americans fit into this? Into this narrative, into this dialogue.
2: Well, you have this narrative; it's, it, it asserts basically a racial caste system, right? That whites are at the top, blacks are at the bottom. You know, this is a uh, this is the subject of Isabel Wilkerson's famous book *Cast*. Right, um, and uh, you know where she tries to imply that America is a racial caste system. But of course, what about Asian Americans? You know, if if America was a racial caste system, then why do you have these obviously lower caste asian americans who come from some of the poorest backgrounds in the nation who have no inherited wealth who don't even speak english who are able to immigrate here and in one generation are able to build up the you know a second generation that's going to college at a higher rate than white americans at a higher rate than um most people and have a higher socioeconomic status you know this is an American success story, and this completely debunks the idea of a racial caste system narrative. You know, and of course, this is something that people have tried to have various explanations of from a critical race theory perspective. But the whole point of that is that that's, all of those perspectives are—the are, only way that they can explain this is to actually be racist to Asian Americans, to say that Asian Americans are like a white adjacent or privileged minority. And this is exactly what Harvard University does in their admission system. They accuse Asians of being a white adjacent minority, and they use that to discriminate against them in the system to let room for less qualified blacks and Hispanics uh, and also whites, too. So this is a big issue right now that um, that ties into a lot of the discourse, the racial discourse. And that's why I wrote my book, An Inconvenient Minority.
0: I've got a question about the white adjacent minority. We've heard more about that lately. That's become a buzzword. But do you believe that there is this sense of better assimilation? Is that another buzzword? I mean, is that one of the things that they claim um, in the inconvenient minority or or with Asians being an inconvenient minority that maybe they have assimilated better into the American ethos?
2: I don't know how... First of all, there's nothing wrong with assimilation. Like assimilation is a great, it's it's pretty, yeah. it's a pretty meritorious thing to mm-hmm. assimilate to American society. It takes a lot of work to assimilate, you know. Um, but it, it's certainly better than not assimilating <laughs> and becoming, you know, a, a second class person in American society. It's definitely not good for your children. So I would encourage Asian Americans to assimilate. Uh, that being said, I have no idea why, why people would use the... This idea that Asian-Americans are more assimilated into society. I mean, Asian-Americans come to this country with a culture that is much more foreign than anything that Europeans, you know, have ever experienced. Um, They're on the other side of the world. You know, they don't even a lot of them don't even speak English. How could you call them a white adjacent or an assimilated minority Mm -hmm. if they come from such this other part of the world? A lot of people have to come here and they have to learn English. By themselves, they have to learn American cultural traits. You know, for example, America is a quarterback country, right? We like outspoken leaders. If you don't speak up, it's like uh, what is it? Squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? If you don't speak up, you get run over. And Asian Americans are not used to that, and that has actually hurt them in this country for a very long time because of the fact that they're not used to that. They're not able to speak up in the face of obvious discrimination, like Harvard. Uh, and utilize the political system for their benefit like other minorities are able to so we need to learn more about you know traditionally american ways of doing things uh so but i also think that it totally there's there's no there's no evidence to suggest that asians are like a more assimilated minority than other people groups in this country
0: yeah i would agree with you i mean i think that uh, Sadly, the word assimilation has become almost like a dirty word. I mean, I really like Eric Kaufman's white shift and how he talked about, um, you know, where we could have this, you know, healthy assimilation. So, but it's become a bit of a dirty word. So I'm not even saying that Asian Americans have assimilated, but appreciate your thoughts on that. David, I know you had a question
1: yeah you know it seems to me that one of the reasons why the proponents of this ideology so dislike the arguments you're making in this book and that others have have made about about Asians and other other quote unquote model minorities is that they really are trying to banish the c- cultural argument they want to suggest that the only explanation for for disparity is systemic racism. And, and any other explanation and the obvious other explanation is culture that certain cultures are more malleable, more adaptive, more success seeking and so forth in that, and that we have to be able to look at that honestly and talk about that honestly. How do you talk about culture in a way that doesn't get everybody's heckles up? How can we talk about culture in a sensitive way? How can we actually give it a uh, sort of the same kind of theoretical power? That systemic racism now has in the discourse um,
2: well, in a sense you're asking me to uh, uh, in a sense you're asking me to do the impossible um it's you you cannot simultaneously be truthful about culture and also completely politically correct um that being said. Um, what you have to understand is that culture, what the first thing that you have to say always is that culture is not based on race, right? Every race has people who are in good and developed cultures and every, you know, in certain ways, and every race is bad cultures. There are a lot of Asians in this country who are doing very. unfortunately, uh, have cultural values that, you know, befit drug use and befit. Gangster violence and everything like that. Just like there are a lot of Black Americans who have great values, cultural values of individualism and um, uh, uh, merit-based education, um, and you know, two-parent family structures. All of those belong to culture. So you have to separate the key. The reason why people get so caught up over the culture argument is that they think it necessarily ties to race, um, and that's not true. And that's not true. What I'm I'm talking, however, um, you know, this is this is a tough, this is this is a tough situation. But I will explain to you to you it in this way, you know, Asian Americans disproportionately, meaning that a higher proportion of Asian Americans study at a higher rate than white Americans. Okay, um, and this is this is this is. Yeah. Completely true, based on the statistics, Asian Americans tend to study about fifteen hours a week compared to white Americans who study about seven eight hours a week, and black Americans who study about six hours a week i'm talking about averages again individuals within this uh within this uh within this race um and the other thing I want to point out is that this comes at great sacrifice right um I'm not saying that Asian culture or or cultures of some Asians are superior to other cultures because they give up a lot of stuff when they do this stuff. They give up giving their kids a social life. Sometimes they give up mental health. Sometimes they give up. Um, sometimes they give up, uh, you know, a, a, an alternative path based on networking that potentially could yield better fruits than just merit alone in American society. This is a strategy. That Asians have adopted, that a lot of Asians have adopted to get by in American society. It's a strategy actually based on their disadvantage, not on their advantage. Their disadvantage is that they come here with no social connections. When you come here with no social connections, what's the best strategy for you to achieve intergenerational mobility? The best strategy is for you to bank on meritocracy, bank on your skills, because that's the only thing you've got going for you at this point. If you don't have that, you have nothing in this country. So You have to understand that Asians pursue this strategy because of their relative disadvantage, not because of their advantage.
0: Okay, so I, you know, about two years ago, I started a letter conversation with a black professor and something that was an exercise that I published with my truth in between. And we were going back and forth and we brought up the the um, model minority myth or the model minority stereotype if you will and it was one of our most contentious letters she really had a problem with it and one of the things that i mentioned in it was these statistics i mean you can like them again it's inconvenient right i mean you can like them you don't have to like them but the statistics of asians staying together as a family you know staying married two-parent household is stronger than any any other group in the you know again as a group in the united states and so When I mentioned that and mentioned that as one of the reasons, perhaps, for their excellence in education, the response was that, you know, the system had that the Black American families were at one point more cohesive, but it was the system itself that broke down Black American families. And the statistics that she gave were you know, obviously the the prison and how um, usually typically black males are given higher sentences than say white males, and then also she gave a statistic about how um, regardless of income or you know socioeconomic standing that black American mothers die at a rate of 243 percent greater than at least whites, and I don't know where Asians fall into that, but those were her reasons for saying well that's why the Black American family has been torn apart. That's why we don't have the same family structure. And so she felt it was very um, pernicious to make that comparison between Black American families and Asian American families, as I did. What would you say to that?
2: Well, I would challenge her on the evidence. I would challenge her on the evidentiary points that she made. First of all, almost nobody dies from pregnancy anymore in a developed country. So to say that Black Americans died at a 243% rate after pregnancy is like saying uh somebody uh, it's like saying you have a 243% likelier chance of getting struck by lightning if you live in Kansas. Therefore, you shouldn't move to Kansas. You know, um, it's it's you know there there are arguments that are relevant and then they're irrelevant arguments. So I would just dismiss that argument as irrelevant. Um there the whole idea of of comparing black families to Asian families, but this is the this is the left's strategy in terms of trying to debunk this Asian um inconvenience to their narrative. What they do is they try to set up a tension between Black families and Asian families and Black people and Asian people. And they're trying to say Asians are actually just racist. That's what they're actually trying to say. And I've seen Asians actually be convinced of this, uh, It's particularly Ivy League-educated Asians who feel so guilty about their Asian privilege because they work so hard that they have to um, apologize for how hard they work to appease you know, various identity groups who, you know, who, who resent them um, and who resent their success, um, and, um, uh, identity-based groups who resent their success. And by the way, most black Americans do not resent Asian success. Most black Americans, you know, want to learn from Asian Americans and most Asian American, Asian Americans need to learn from black Americans too, especially with regards to culture and how to, you know, um, marketing, self-promotion, entrepreneurship, Asian Americans have a lot to learn from black Americans and black Americans have a lot to learn from Asian Americans, but you, you shouldn't, I think that it's a false dichotomy to try to, you know, make this about black people versus Asian people. This is about cultural values that anybody can share, that anybody can have. Anybody can study hard. Anybody can work hard. Anybody can have a two parent family structure. Okay. To say marriage is a choice. All right. Marriage is a choice. You can choose to get married. You can choose to get married or to get divorced, or you can choose to have a child out of wedlock or not have a child out of wedlock. There are very rare exceptions, but the norm is that. You have to understand the power of individual choice is what gives people the freedom to be able to do things that benefit them or not benefit them. And if you destroy individual autonomy by assuming that everything is systemic, you actually destroy free choice, which actually depresses the lives of the people who you're trying to benefit.
1: Um, I wanted to go a little granular on some of the statistics. One of the arguments that's often used to uh, try to uh, challenge your, your arguments is that most Asian Americans, or the overwhelming majority, um, came to this country with degrees, they're self-selected group of immigrants to this country. You're suggesting that that's not the case; that it's much more, at least at the very least, complicated than that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what percentage of people really do come here, with, uh, you know, from a place like South Korea with a fully developed, you know, education and career and the like, and what what percentage don't? How, how does that look in the Asian American community?
2: Okay, it's a it's a myth, and even if it wasn't a myth, it would still not say what they want it to say. So that what they're trying to say is that because the disproportionate because Asian Americans are come here and they're educated and stuff like that, that they actually are advantaged, that they're an advantaged minority. This is not true. Um, the, even the percentage of Chinese people who come to America on the family based visa versus the merit based visa, it's the same as, as the average immigrant group in America today, you know? And then the other thing is that Asian Americans come to this country, um, Dis, much higher, disproportionately, with no wealth. They have zero generational wealth, and they have zero generational connections. Um, so the educate the whole education argument, merit based argument, everything like that, is doesn't have that much evidence going for it. But even if it did, let's let let me just concede. Let's just concede to them to this argument that like. Um, the educated Asian Americans that come here are advantaged. Um, the educated, all of that, all that shows is that culture matters to me. That's what that shows because if you come here, because did they come here with generational wealth? No. Did they come here with institutional? Um, did they come here with like social connections that help them get ahead? No. If they came here with their education and their skills, and are still able to succeed in American society without generational wealth and without social connections, then that must mean that it's their culture and their ability to get an education and to get functional skills that allow them to succeed and so that all that does really is is uh, is reaffirm the argument that I'm trying to make that culture matters and it really is based on you and your individual ability to um to, to attain um, what you want to get.
0: So I really have noticed lately, uh, you know, I've been very close to the Asian community throughout my professional career, both in the United States and, and outside. And it is this issue, I feel like, around meritocracy that really, I mean, Asian Americans, mm-hmm. typically, again, we're talking in generalities, you know, are very, um, you know, kind of, my impression in the United States is, more states together in a group. Um, I know this, again, I'm speaking in generalities, but it was when we started, it's really when I, critical race theory came out, and again, call it what you will, and I know that word has itself been polluted, uh, And you know, anti-racism, social justice, call it what you will, but it was when the attack on meritocracy happened that I saw more so than I've seen in the past this interconnection between the Asian Americans that I have you know, been friends with and kind of coming out and, and connecting with the larger American society to really fight this. This is where, this was to me, the tipping point, if you will, where a lot of Asian Americans were like, no, you know, absolutely not, <laughs> you know, because of this idea you know, the, the hard work and the, the values that are put around
2: meritocracy. Would you agree with that? Of course, of course. Um, you know, in, issues are always recognized in people's communities that drive people towards doing certain things. So, you know, if it happened to be the case that the Harvard case spurred Asian Americans into action, then so be it. That's great for them because Harvard represents a larger attack on Asian American excellence in this country. It's certainly Harvard is not an isolated event. Now you see gifted and talented programs like Thomas Jefferson High School try to get rid mm-hmm. of asian americans at their school which the asian americans make up 70 percent of the top math and science high school in the entire nation they recently made a proposal to get to cut asian admissions there basically by half in favor of a merit lottery for the sake of diversity and all that does is actually increases the number of whites and decreases the number of asians so this is you know so harvard's philosophy of accusing asians of being white adjacent in order as a justification for discriminating against them, has now spread through all of these public institutions. And now it's spread even into big corporations like Google and Facebook, which I write about in my book, An Inconvenient Minority, where Asians make up like 95% of Google's software engineering team. They literally are the machinery that makes the company run. And yet, you go up every step of management and they go lower lower and lower proportions up to like 25% of the executives at Google and Facebook. And you can say, um, and and, and so all of these issues, and I'm not saying there aren't confounding factors there, but I'm saying Asians are definitely not viewed as a minority that needs to be elevated in these Google and Facebook circles based on Google and Facebook's diversity uh, and inclusion sector within their companies. So Asians have a right to fight for all of this because as soon as Harvard stuff continues to get legitimized in our discourse, all of this is just going to spread and spread. and It's going to get worse and worse. And you're going to have an attack on Asian American excellence that really is an attack on our culture of excellence. And that's going to hurt our entire country because it's going to discriminate against the best qualified, best talent that our country needs right now in this time of our history.
1: So um, I've also, by the way, been doing... Um Jewish-Asian-American relations for many, many years in a previous job, and um, my wife is Chinese-American, by the way, um, so I'm I'm immersed in uh, the discourse, um, and uh, one of the things that has really struck me, and I'm wondering how what you think about it, is that the Ibrahim uh, X. Kendi definition of equity, which holds that the only reason why there can be disparity is discrimination, is actually quite a Possible source of anti-Asian and anti-Jewish, but uh, uh, sentiment because any group that um, that might did get ahead must automatically be complicit in white supremacy under that definition. In other words, if white supremacy is what holds back people of color, then it must be that it must be that which helps uh, people get ahead. What do you think of that? Do you are you worried that this is also fueling a kind of bigotry as well?
2: I've always said in my tweets and in my videos. You can follow me at Kenny M. Shu um, on Twitter um, and Facebook and Instagram, but and on YouTube. But the uh, I've always said that you that anti-racists claim that they're fighting white supremacy. But what they're really fighting is meritocracy. That's what I've always said. Because every anti-racist proposal that I've seen that's actually been implemented, the predominant effect is to lower the percentage of Asian Americans. The anti-racist proposal in Thomas Jefferson lowered Asian Americans by half. The anti-racist proposal in New York City specialized schools lowered Asian American admissions by like a third. You know, the anti racist proposals that are being leveled for the sake of equity. Now, Biden has a new Build Back Better proposal where he's going to flood Black owned and Brown owned businesses with cash. Brown means Latino, it doesn't mean Asian, actually. Um, So, actually, that's going to harm Asians even more. Proposition 16 in California racial preferences and admissions. Their key, their core, what the core thing that they're going to do is they're going to lower preferences for Asian-owned businesses, and they're going to increase preferences for Black-owned and Hispanic-owned businesses. By the way, it's a silly moniker because a company could be 99% white, and as long as the figurehead is Black, it's considered Black-owned. So all of this, all, every anti-racist proposal that I've seen, the predominant effect is to lower, is to actually uh, not just attack Asians, but reason, really attacks meritocracy. It's to get rid of meritocratic standards and to replace it with some kind of equity-based standard that 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 where your admissions or your hiring or your promotion is based on your race rather than it is your individual merit.
1: you worry though that it also um fuels anti-Asian sentiment and bigotry or no?
2: It's it's fueled by anti-Asian sentiment. I mean Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Council member who tried to push for the elimination of this standardized tests the gifted and talented programs in which Asians tend to do well said we can't have Asians invading our community you know she didn't say we can't have Asians we can't have members of a certain kind of community uh, invading our neighborhood um that was a Brooklyn council member I think Mary Cumbo, um that I quote in my book an inconvenient minority then you have um uh, a man named Mr. Johns in the Montgomery County NAACP who said we know that those Asians have the t- tests. They have the tests, they study it, they study them, they cheat on them. He's accusing Asians of cheating on tests. You know, this, this is, this whole stuff is, is both anti-Asian and flared by anti-Asian resentment. Um, Now, I mean, look, you know, I don't want to get too far in this. I I really don't want to make this like a race versus race battle because there's anti-Black sentiment from Asian Americans as well. I'm not denying that, but I am saying that when resentment becomes policy this is when she
1: gets mm-hmm. so the you know i'm i'm familiar with a lot of the asian american and chinese american organizations and it seems to me that that many of the more uh, so-called mainstream organizations have yet to sort of uh oppose the current you know ideology they and, and some of them have sort of gone woke um What do you make of the current scene and 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 to what degree do you think that that's representative of the Asian-American community?
2: Um, Well, when you consider a mainstream Asian-American organization, really what you what you mean to talk about is you're talking about a liberal Asian-American organization that is considered mainstream because they're quoted by like The Washington Post and New York Times and stuff. The most mainstream organization right now is probably Stop API Hate, which is basically a progressive shell nonprofit that claims to stand for Asian-Americans so that they can take government and donor money and put it into progressive causes. Um, So these are not even like Asian-American nonprofits. These are basically money laundering schemes based upon the brand of Asian-American victimization.
0: Interesting. Um, I want to go back to language a little bit
1: because
0: you make this distinction in your book And, you know, we've, we've, like I said, we've twisted language so much, we don't even know what we're talking about half the time, or we're talking across each other. But you talk about multiculturalism. And so at one point, I used that word in a positive way. Like, I love the fact that America has so many different uh, races, ethnicities, religion, etc. And so I used to use that word multiculturalism around that appreciation of America being the, quote, melting pot, which again is a microaggression. I think we're supposed to say a salad, David, not a my, melting pot that's the, that's the acceptable word um, but it multiculturalism has been it's, it's been twisted and you were talking about multiculturalism I think versus like multiracial um identities. can you give us a little idea of what you think about like multiculturalism and and how that word is being
2: used? Okay. Well, multiculturalism assumes that all cultures are equal. That's not true. Not all cultures are equal. Uh, if you have a degraded culture where people are, I mean, I, I just think, think about the, you know, you're Jewish, think about the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, that was a depraved culture. That was a bad culture. There are bad cultures and there are good cultures that we need to learn how to distinguish between bad cultures and good cultures. You know, so multiculturalism assumes that every culture is equal, and that's wrong because it actually—if you would make that assumption—what happens is that you incentivize the bad behavior to continue going on, mm-hmm. um, um, and and you you take away from the cultures that are actually doing well. Uh, and when cultures do well, people actually want to go into these cultures. So when you take away from these cultures, you're you're disincentivizing excellence. That's basically what you're disincentivizing. So. Um I'm trying to think of like the most cogent example that I can regarding this because I always like to buttress my claims with examples or evidence but um I would say for example um, okay so there's this there's this church community in d c that's d c based that I forget the name, but it's primarily african American and they are some of the wealthiest you know property owning and law abiding um african americans um you know forget african americans some of the most law abiding americans in the entire country and they're part of this I forget this church community i think it's called the assemblies of christ or something like that uh basically they own like a billion dollars of land you know and you know they've 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 been financially um they, they have have harbored like very good financial practices you know their members are are all required to have some sort of structure in their lives. they have high two parent family structures um and this you know is placed this this basically uh, oasis of achievement and excellence um has nothing to do with the fact that these people are black um but it but it is it's an attraction point a lot of people are attracted to that. Including a lot of other members of the black community there, um that represents to me a culture um that should be incentivized. but multiculturalism, you're saying that that culture is the same as like a broken gang ridden culture in downtown Baltimore. Mm. And that's wrong, you know that's wrong. that's that's actually it actually. Because what, what we know about all of these statistics is that black Americans want more police officers or the same amount of police officers. Eighty one percent of them say that they want higher public safety. They want good education. They want school choice. They want good schools. They want the same things that all Americans want. And the whole false narrative of multiculturalism basically says it's OK where you guys are. You guys are part of the same culture. Everybody is equal. Every culture is equal. And we should just give you And and don't worry about it. So it's an excuse from I think having to solve the real problems that that face our society today.
0: You know, and you said something that I thought was really important. That culture doesn't equal race, and I think that that those two things get conflated, and that's the problem. So people lump black culture, and a lot of times the way the media talks about black culture again as one monolithic thing is they talk about it from like the low income side, and they are forgetting you know. uh, Various cultures within black culture, within Asian culture, within white culture, were you know homogenizing culture and equating it with race, and I think that is one of the biggest tragedies I think around this conversation as well.
2: Uh huh, and you know, um, I think that, uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, you need to understand that there are places in black america that are doing very well and very excellently culturally speaking and i don't even want to use the example of black immigrants because uh there's understandable frustration regarding black immigrants versus descendants of slavery so i'm just going to talk about black americans in the army you know black americans in the army have higher career achievement they have higher uh assimilation into middle class life uh, they have higher proportional rates you know of of college, education, high career achievement, everything like that. Um, and all of this, you know, they start out in the army, in the military. And what what's in the military? Military does not compromise standards for anybody. They basically live and work in a meritocracy. You know, you're required to pass an objective assessment of personal and physical merit. And, uh, you know, you and you, if you, if you can't, well, sorry, you know, if you can't, we're going to help you to try to reach that standard, but we're not going to lower the bar for you. Mm-hmm. So the Black Americans who've actually chosen this path have have become some of the more successful uh, Americans in this nation. So, uh, yeah, just just do I do I believe that culture matters? Absolutely, culture matters.
0: You know, my co-author is um, you know a Black attorney, and he gets so frustrated with the. Uh, the the narrative around culture because it always assumes like I just I mean I'm, I'm repeating myself but it always assumes that black culture is low income culture and he feels that his identity has been erased and um and and it's it it, it that's it, and and that narrative perpetuates or that media bias perpetuates the narrative of um, systemic racism and and it, and it, and it mis- I I think mis- misrepresents a huge population like you had already mentioned that you know, are striving for excellence. It 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 erases them,
2: you know. No matter, yeah. Their it's a, and it's a stereotype and it erases some of the highest achieving, you know, Black Americans in this country, some of the highest achieving Latino, Asian, White Americans in this country today. To focus everything on the basis of race.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you What do you tell people who claim? That groups like ours that are trying to get to know heterodox black thinkers um, are, are sort of cherry-picking people, and we're not really speaking to the representatives, the authentic representatives of black America who yes, because they' be the authentic because they're the authentic
2: representatives, right? Because of course, the ones who are authentically black are, of course, the ones that, uh, that they love to pick and choose, too. Uh, you know, I've spoken. With for my book, I prepared for my book and also for my uh, organization, Colorist United, united coloristunited.org, where we advocate for race blind America, which is the truest ideal of what America is all about. Um, I've interviewed a lot of Black individuals. And what I need, what, what I should share with you is that a lot of Black individuals, ordinary Black individuals, agree with the idea of meritocracy agree hey we shouldn't be treated on our background we should be treated on the basis of our merit um and this is such an obvious thing um and it's it's even more obvious to historically discriminated communities because why would you want gatekeepers controlling your outcome why would you want subjective gatekeepers controlling your outcome based on politics no you want a, You want a country where if you work hard, you succeed. You want a country where if you're able to have low barriers of entry and equal opportunity, then you can compete fairly and make it in this country. And there are winners and losers in that. But guess what? We all play multiple games in life. If you lose one game, you can play another game. And that this is what we we should we should encourage in young people today. And the the people who I talk to who happen to be black pretty much agree with me on that point.
0: Um. So, you know, typically. And again, we're speaking in generalities. I don't like generalities, but you know <laughs> that's where we're at. Typically, Asian Americans vote a certain way; are seen as more on the liberal side. And I think around this idea of meritocracy, um, a traditionalism has crept in around that idea. Again, I think that's that was kind of the the moment where a lot of Asian Americans said, "No, this isn't my this isn't my America." You know, this is not the reason I came came here. Do you see a trend? in the Asian American community again speaking as and in generality of them shifting their political allegiance a little bit as a result of this one issue
2: <laughs> well this is not just one issue well, meritocracy oh, right. i think encompasses pretty much every issue in the united states mm, that mm, maybe with point. the exception of like i don't know like gay rights or you know or abortion or something like that um, meritocracy is, is, is a critical issue. It, it affects our economy. It affects our social life. It affects race relations. It affects healthcare. I mean, do you want a surgeon of a certain race or do you want a, the best qualified surgeon? You know? Uh, so meritocracy is, is an American issue. So I wouldn't, and I think Asian Americans are starting to realize that, you know, hopefully with my advocacy in my book, I'm turning Asian Americans towards the truth. The understanding that if you want a country that produces good things, that is not racked with identity politics like South Africa is, you have to stop treating people on the basis of race. And you have to really enforce strict meritocratic standards in our country. Um, and that is the ultimate American principle. Uh, Not because any one particular group does well, but because I've shown and I've seen over and over again, every racial group does better under meritocratic standards. Uh, It makes American life more competitive, and therefore it makes American life better for everybody.
1: Well said. Meritocracy is an American issue. I love that. This has been uh, extremely uh, informative. I I heard some Interesting takes that I've never heard before, and I've been following these issues very closely. And uh, look forward to promoting your book. and Good luck, uh, Kenny, with your your book.
2: Thanks. Uh, my and- book, Inconvenient Minority. I encourage your listeners to go buy it. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, wherever Books are sold. I also have a podcast, an Inconvenient Minority podcast, or the Inconvenient Minority podcast. Excuse me. Where I'm interviewing thinkers like James Lindsay, Chris Rufo. Um, john stossel recently um and we're we're, i'm pushing the discourse my my objective really is to push the discourse um and to to come up with challenging provocative ideas based on evidence and to share that with people and to to push against the grain so here here i am doing on your podcast and i appreciate the time
0: yeah the inconvenient minority let me tell you it it really is it's it's a great book and it makes you think in ways around these topics that you have really become monochrome, black, white in, in a new, in a new way. So it's, it's a brilliant insight. Kenny, thank you for, for putting it out there.
2: Of course. Thank you guys. Appreciate it.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like, or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website, where you can find what each of us is reading every week, different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line and join us next week as we say, hold my drink
2: and the conversation gets real.